Love this podcast? Support this show through the Acast Supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give and there's no regular commitment. Just hit the link in the show description to support now. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with Plush Care. Plush Care accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. Hello, Joystick Wagglers. It's Luke Owen here from Under Consultation, and we are nearing the end of Series 3, which means we're closing in on our end of Series wrap-up, and we want to hear from you. What have you made of this detour little series of two halves, the very divisive series of Games Master? What have been your highlights? What have been your lowlights? Let us know by sending us either written or MP3 thoughts to feedback at underconsultation.com before May first that's feedback at underconsultation.com get in touch right let's get on with the show Greetings and welcome to the Games Master Team Championships. This is Under Consultation, an episode-by-episode podcast guide through the UK's greatest video game challenge TV show, Games Master. I am one of your hosts, Luke Owen, a 24-meg adventure with a battery backup. And I am your other host, Ash Versus. Sorry about that, Desmond. <laughs> I'm glad they brought that back up. Uh, this episode... <laughs> they brought it back, but gee, dear God, that kid f***ed the delivery something fierce. This episode aired on the 15th of February 1994. It's one final week for D-Ream at the top of the pops with Things Can Only Get Better, but there's a new number one at the top of the box office. Get ready with your childish jokes. It's Free Willy. Imagine if the world you lived in, the space you breathed in, and the freedom you played in was suddenly taken away. Imagine if the only person who knew how you felt was a boy who felt it too. You really like him, huh? In a world where beauty is held captive. Miss your family. It takes a special friend. Willie doesn't have a problem with me. We appreciate each other. Looks like Willie's got himself a soulmate. To set you free. 
yeah, 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 Willie to that, yeah, yeah, Willie free. Literally, I went to the cinema to see this film, and I had to go to the loo partway through the movie, and you know, just there in the loo, and two lads, two older boys, two bigger boys came in. One of them said to his mate, "Oh, mate, I'm actually freeing Willie." When he went to the urinal, no joke, that happened to me in 1993 or 1994, even. I'm amazed it didn't like pass into popular parlance for like you know the whole kind of like flying low if you leave your flies down or oh, yeah, yeah. like low flag or whatever. I'm amazed it didn't become a code like you know make make free willy, free willy. <laughs> hey, you know what 90s nostalgia is at its highest at the moment. Maybe now's the time to bring it back. Or even start it. I think if there's one thing this world doesn't need more of at the moment is free willies. I think there's plenty of those (laughs) on the internet without us attempting to bring anything back. (laughs) This film, I knew there were sequels. I didn't know that there were that many sequels. I didn't know that there was a TV series. Was there really? I didn't know there was a TV series. What, a live action series? Yeah, I, I just, when I was looking this up and I was saying, oh yeah, it grossed $153 million on a $20 million budget. That's pretty good. And it grew into a small franchise, including a television series, two sequels, and a direct-to-video reboot. Oh man, I didn't even know. I knew there were like two sequels. The TV show, now that you've said that, is starting to ring some bells. Like I might have seen it, but then like I might be confusing it with something else. The reboot, I had no idea had happened. When did that come out? It came out in 2010, and apparently, at least according to Wikipedia, it was a reboot, but it was also a sequel. It was a direct Mm. sequel to Free Willy 3, which came out in the late 90s. And Free Willy 3 did kind of close the original story arc. And then this one started a new one. Its full title was Free Willy Escape from Pirate's Cove. (laughs) Sweet. Pirates are involved. Yeah, Willie's escaping from pirates. Never mind. But yeah, it was released on DVD and Blu-ray on the 23rd of March 2010 in the US. It came out over here on the 2nd of August. It's the only film in the series not to feature any cast members from the first three installments, as well as the only film in the series to be released direct to video. I'm looking at the cover, mate, and this looks bobbins. Like, the, the cover itself is terrible Photoshop work. Yeah, it doesn't sound great, does it? Like, when you hear the term direct-to-video reboot in 2010, it doesn't inspire me with a lot of confidence. I'm, I I think Hellraiser Revelations, or whatever the hell that le- Heather Langenkamp film was. Mm, I mean, I'm looking at the cast here, and there are names here you've never heard of. Yep. Wait, no, there is one name you probably will have heard of. Uh, Bo Bridges? Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. And I suppose a name you'll be familiar with the family of, Bindi Irwin, who is one of the daughters of sadly departed wildlife personality. I mean, so many different bows in his string. Steve Irwin. Yeah, She's, yeah, yeah. She started this in the lead role. But I'm looking down the rest of it, and uh, it says Wikipedia, only one other name actually has a link next to it right and that's a very small role for robert irwin also one of the irwin kids yeah doesn't sound great that but the first film knob jokes aside is a cracking little film it's a great family friendly film i don't think i've seen it in about 25 years probably more Mm -hmm. Uh, i know my younger siblings had it on video i know they watched the hell out of it I think they also liked the Flipper reboot that came out around this time. Yeah, that's what, you know, when I said I was thinking of like, oh, I think I might remember the Free Willy TV show. I might be thinking of, I think Flipper had a TV show. 
I might be confusing it with that. There was also Darwin in Sequest DSV. Yeah, there were loads of that sort of stuff. It became like a big thing because Free Willy was such a hit. So like everyone then tries to capitalize on that success. Although I will say on Sequest DSV, it is, of course, an opportunity to be Welkered because Frank Welker is the voice of Darwin. <laughs> Richer, sad, man gets everywhere. They did use a real whale for a good chunk of this movie, uh, close-up shots and some kind of like shots that didn't require much movement. They did have an animatronic whale. It wasn't bad. I mean, it didn't require the most facial movement. It was a summer blockbuster originally for Warner Brothers because it opened in July 93 over in the US and grossed $8 million on its opening weekend. When it was released internationally, it made a further $76 million on top of its domestic for that grand total of $153 million worldwide. And it wasn't just with the box office it was successful. The critics liked it. It still holds a fairly respectable rating of 70% on Rotten Tomatoes, which I think that's that's pretty good. Do you understand Rotten Tomatoes? I mean, I, I think that still keeps it certified fresh, I think. I, it's a website and it will just say, I, I will see a film and it will go certified fresh on Rotten Tomatoes. And I'm like, cool yeah it means something to someone i'm old i don't know anymore but the aquatic star of the film was an orca named keiko and the amount of success of the film really shone a spotlight on whales in captivity particularly orcas and so there was a letter writing campaign to get keiko released from captivity warner brothers was so grateful for the whale and moved by the fans ambition and possibly by the opportunity for a bit of free publicity because if there's one thing I've learned in the past couple of months, it's a lot about Warner Brothers and how cutthroat they were and continue to be. But they contributed to the rehabilitation and freeing of Keiko. Keiko was moved to the Oregon Coast Aquarium, then once in Oregon was returned to health with the hopes of being able to return to the wild and was then moved to Iceland to learn to live in the wild. And after working with handlers, he was released from a sea pen in the summer of 2002 and swam to Norway following a pod of wild orcas. Hmm. Oh, that's cool. Do we know if it's still alive? However. Oh, okay. I've just yanked the rug out from you, Luke. <laughs> I've just pulled on those heartstrings and, and now old Yeller's going out back because despite the release, he subsequently returned to humans for food and company, couldn't integrate with a pod of orcas oh. and the project was considered a failure. The orca sadly died of pneumonia in a Norwegian bay on December 12th 2003 and a decade later or more there were still articles being written about how this release failed and became more of a publicity stunt than an actual genuine attempt at reintegration and they just held up the fact that this was never going to work because he was captured at such an early age the long yeah. history of captivity and also the lengths they went to to get the orca to bond with humans the whole reason he was in free willy was because he was considered safe. Yeah. I know you're safe with Bucky O'Hare is because they're called killer whales for a reason. Yeah. Safe in the way a lion is safe. And we know what happened with Siegfried and Roy. Yeah. But depending on how you feel about the use of captive animals in films, particularly films that are, I guess, historical at this point, and wow, that's a weird thing to say about Free Willy, it is a good film. It is a fun film. And it's certainly a film that I could see myself watching at some point in the future, although probably not right now. Yeah, I don't think I've seen... I, as I said, I went to the pictures to see this uh, probably in February 1994. I think my nan took me to go and see it. I don't think I've seen it since then. I didn't have it on home video. I don't know anyone that had it on home video. 
I've never revisited it. I've also never seen the sequel. So yeah, so I would probably wager that I haven't seen this film since its release in 94. The thing that kind of like boggles my mind about this, or you know, kind of is a, is a real nice shining light on how different cinema was, is that this film was released in America in July 1993. And then we get it months, like eight months later, we get this movie. Like that is insanity in today's age yeah it's a definite change in culture and i think nowadays with digital distribution there is no reason to have that level of delay in a film the only reasons i can see for it particularly at the moment are if cinemas aren't open or if you know if we release this film now it will bomb if we wait a couple of months until it's colder we might do a bit better that that i can kind of see but even then they have to offset it with will this get pirated in that time i I think that the most notable thing about free willy aside from you know the 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 obvious history of it is that it was a movie that was parodied a lot like that shot of the kids standing there on the cove and and free willy like doing like that was the poster you know the big sort of like climactic moment of the movie where free willy does where willy does the big jump out of the sea you know that was the poster for the film it became a an easy go-to parody for a lot of tv shows like i remember the finding it hysterical but watching um tiny tunes how i spent my summer vacation there's an amazing parody of it and that like i remember like howling with laughter at how funny that was yeah like this it's a film that i've probably seen parodied more than i've seen the film itself and i remember the simpsons doing it i think wasn't it the episode where marge goes uh, where marge leaves homer and ends up helping the narwhals or... Yeah, um, yeah. There's, there must have been a Simpsons parody of it. There's at there's least one. There's yeah. at least one. Yeah, there was also a parody of it where Homer is watching it on TV, and they do pretty much the same joke that they do in Tiny Toons, which is the boy jumps up and then crushes him. Oh no, Willie didn't make it, and he crushed our boy. Ugh, what a mess. Oh, I don't like this new director's cut. But it has got that killer line at the end where he's like, oh, I don't like this new director's cut. Oh, man, we had enough of director's <laughs> cut with Mrs. Doubtfire the other week. I think uh, <laughs> the Snyder cut of Free Willy. <laughs> uh, in the world of TV, I mean, I say that's the world of TV, but the world of sport, the 1994 Winter Olympics have begun. They began airing here in the UK on February 12th. Great Britain would go on to win two bronze medals. That would be the some total of what we managed in that uh, i have absolutely no memory of the winter i mean i i'm not really a sports person has been quite evident from this show but i don't i don't particularly remember the 94 winter olympics at all i think my main memory of the winter olympics in 1994 was actually my mother because you know who made a comeback for the winter olympics 1994 who was that it was and dean oh really yeah they were one of the bronzes oh yeah in the world of video games, Wario Woods is released in Japan, although we won't get it until 1995. And I thought I'd make note of this one because we have seen the first game in our timeline. Joe and Mac 2 is released on the Super Nintendo, although we won't get it until November 1995. Wow. <laughs> I know. That's a long, long wait for all those Mac heads, I guess, yeah. or Joe heads, or I don't know. I don't know what you'd call a collective of caveman ninja fans. Rare, probably. Yeah, absolutely. Um, Have we got anything that we're going to do in the magazine this week? Well, Luke, this is the last issue of Games Master magazine we will be covering for season three. We will then skip ahead a number of issues for the start of season four. And so I thought 
while I am saving something special for that last episode, let's take a quick jaunt over to Letters Corner. Did we decide that Games Master is less mean than Mean Machine Sega was? I think it honestly depends on who's writing the letters and who's writing the responses because they seem to call out people a lot more. They don't pick on people just for the sake of it. But if someone acts like a dick, they act like dicks twice as hard back. That sounded way less filthy in my head. Clearly, I'm preparing myself for the second coming of Dominic. Oh, yeah, he is coming back. That also sounded a lot less filthy in my head. Anyway, we're going to Sado Corner and we're hearing from young Alex McCulloch of Scotland, who has a letter titled Links Not Dead. Now, listen here, son. Oh, dear, says Andy. <laughs> I'm a Glaswegian and you'll all be thankful I'm not doing the accent. So I know what I'm talking about. Your magazine is good, but it's failing miserably at the handhelds. Game Boy reviews? Yes. Game Gear reviews? Yes. But Lynx reviews? No. Kevin Lewis wrote in August and you've not done a thing. It's gotten worse. No coverage for the past three issues. Donald, where's your trousers? Brackets from Andy. I understand this is some form of Scottish joke. Listen here, you podsy English gits. Your magazine is dead good and everything, but for your Christmas edition, please review a Lynx game such as Pit Fighter or Desert Strike. Us loyal Lynx people, we don't get any action replays or game genies, so we deserve a little more, don't we? P.S. Something I'm wondering, do English people eat haggis or porridge? I mean, I have eaten haggis, uh, and actually as a vegetarian, there's a uh, waitress have a bloody lovely vegan haggis that is absolutely it's delightful. It's really good. I've had some yeah. of that vegan haggis. Also, of course we eat porridge. Porridge yeah, is lovely. Of course we do. <laughs> anyway, the response from Andy is, neither Alex. We have something called food down here in not-so-bleeding Bonnie, England. Oh, all right. We'll view some Lynx games just for you. I've told Tim, and he says he's on it. We'll have some next issue, probably. That's something for us to keep an eye on. I mean, we're, oh, we're not doing the next issue. We probably should just look ahead to see if they did do some any, any Lynx reviews. I w we, we can cover that. We can cover that in the series wrap-up. Okay, nice one. I like that. And lastly, this is one, as both a Sonic fan and fan of film that you will appreciate. Has anyone else out there noticed the similarities between the game Sonic Spinball and Quentin Tarantino's latest cinematic masterpiece, True Romance? Just look at the facts. A blue hedgehog with red sneakers, social outcast, misfit, misunderstood, is just like Christian Slater's character in the film. He's thrown into a world in which the pinball-related rules are totally alien to him, just like Slater's sudden exposure to the underground world of gangsters and prostitution. Both characters have to survive in a hostile environment and are ultimately triumphant. Do you think that the creators of Sonic Spinball and True Romance were aware of the uncanny similarities between the two? And that was from Bruce Smith in Billington. Have you noticed a similarity? Both of them have characters and both of them feature a story. Do you think there is some link between these two? It's Wizard of Oz, Dark Side of the Moon level of coincidence of <laughs> there is no actual feasible way that they are directly connected. But if you line them up, sure, Bruce. Anyway, the response from the letters page was, yes, Bruce, we think you're onto something. And we contacted Mr. Tarantino to see what his thoughts were on the matter. Perhaps significantly, his response was, go away, I'm eating. Hmm, it appears there could well be more to this than meets the eye. We'll keep you informed. 
let's be honest, with the whole Sonic 3 and Michael Jackson thing, it's not the weirdest connection with Sonic the Hedgehog, nor will it ever be. No. Christian Slater would have been a great voice for Sonic if they'd made a Sonic film in the early to mid-90s. Yeah, I was because like I, they never got that far with the casting of it, but I always envisioned it would be something like a Matthew Broderick. like a, Yeah, like a Broderick or a Slater. I suppose it depends how kind of cool and edgy they wanted to make Sonic. You know, if they wanted to make cartoony Sonic, absolutely Matthew Broderick. But if they wanted to make Sonic, who might be the sort of Sonic that starts a radio station from his bedroom where he goes by the name Happy Harry Hardon, then absolutely Christian Slater. I love Pump Up the Volume. We've got another titanic clash between three teams trying to secure themselves a place in the final. They're going to be battling out and the challenges are going to be fast and furious, just like Amon speaking. Uh, I mean, I really enjoyed last week's semi-final and I've got to be honest, I was quite geared up for this one as well. I I was really excited for this and I also like that Dex has gained self-awareness. We're only three episodes from the end, but he says the challenges are going to be fast and furious just like how he's speaking. He's a cockney. He's an energetic cockney. Well, that, and he's got a lot to fit in, hasn't he? Because he's got to talk about how there's team championships. It's the semi-finals. We've got three returning teams. They're playing for Mega Mungus prizes. There's going to be celebrities. He has got a lot that he needs to fit into his very short link. Ultra short. I'm Asad and I'm the team captain. Asad. Kaljit. And David. Good to see you again, guys. Now, if I remember rightly, you thought my name was Derek. Yeah, sorry about that, Desmond. Well sorry. done, very good. All right, then. So what do you, you think your chances are tonight? Well, um, we've seen the other pl- people playing, and I think we've got the best chance. Yeah, all right. Well, good luck. Let's have a big round of applause for them. Yeah! We'll again. Cheers. Rightio, then, the Mega Maniacs. The Mega Maniacs. Here they are. Mega Maniacs looking quite serious. Are you serious, Mega Maniacs? Absolutely. Right, okay, then tell us your names. Russell. Russell. Rob. Rob. Stuart. Stuart. All right, then, so you heard what the other team had to say. They didn't think you were too good. What do you think to that? Say, we're so good, we could take on the caretaker. Oh, that is brave words. I'm telling you, that is brave words saying you can take on the caretaker. Well, good luck to all of you lot. Let's have a big round of applause for them. Yeah. Well done. Right, let's move on. Let's move on. Here they are. These are the funky Hepcats. Here they are, take this. Evening, guys, how are you? Well, thanks. Right, tell us your names. Richard, I'm team captain. Richard's team captain. Zahid. Zahid's not team captain. Ashley. And Ashley's not team captain either. Right, so what about you? You going to do well? Yeah, well, I mean, perfect score in the last round. Maximum points. Maximum points, that's true. We'll just have to see, I think. Well, good luck. I can get maximum points again on this round. This is where we get what you uh, teed up at the start of this podcast. So the Turbo Destructors, when we met them in the heat, got Dexter's name wrong. He called him Derek. And so, you know, quick as a flash this time around, quick as a flash might be a bit of a stretch, but he's on this one to be like, yeah, sorry about that, Desmond's. I'll be honest, not the smoothest of deliveries, but I did get a kick out of it. It's one of those instances where the actual pause between him saying, sorry about that, and then Desmond is about half a second. But because of the laws of comic timing, it feels like a fucking day and a half and i was sat there going were you trying to think that up or had you forgotten the name you'd agreed to call him and i honestly could flip a coin on either of those i'd like to think that it was actually him thinking on his feet because that's actually slightly more excusable um it did make me want the turbo destructors to win here it really warmed me to them and i wrote my notes here i now want this team to win i was also quite favorable on them and Even with their slightly wonky delivery, that didn't go away because 
Asan still struggles a bit with his words, but he does say they've seen the other people playing and thinks they've got the best chance. But what of those other people? Who's up next? Oh, so we've got the Mega Maniacs back again, who are so confident they think they can take on their caretaker. I mean, the video games, probably. Although, I don't know, I like to think that during down moments, the caretaker is sat to one side with a Game Boy in Tetris. Oh, he, he feels like a Tetris man. I don't know, actually. A Game Boy? I mean, he's got big old meat hook hands, and even the OG Game Boy might be a bit small. Maybe he's the guy that wrote in about the Lynx. Maybe he's a Lynx player because they were, they, you, you could kill a seal with a Lynx. They were yeah. big old handhelds and that would be good for his ham hocks. Uh, I also enjoyed Take This uh, at their introduction where they were basically just saying that they got perfect scores in the heats, which I'd actually forgotten about. And I, I think that's one of the problems of the team championships. And a few people have said this on our Discord as well, that despite the fact that they've been listening along with this podcast and they've been watching the episodes, they can't remember who's actually in the semi-finals. So it's, it's good for Take This to remind us that they did get perfect points. If they'd had a bit more time, it would have been nice if at the end of every episode, they'd kind of had a graphic come up going, and that means that joining so-and-so in the first semi-final is doom. And it fills in as the series goes on. Just, you know, throwing it out there for a 30-year-old television show. Yeah, time is just not something that this series had in, in abundance. But let's get on with our first challenge. What are we playing, Games Master? Tonight's first challenge is on the immortal beat-em-up Mortal Kombat for the Sega Mega Drive. Our contestants must smash their opponents to the ground in a single round duel to the death. As usual, I'll award five points to the winners of each bout and zero to the losers. It's become a bit of a staple of Series 3, I feel, Mortal Kombat. Like, you know, we had the, the big Mortal Kombat special episode right at the start of Series 3. It's been used a couple of times as like a tiebreaker thing. I feel like it is almost like it's like comfort food for Series 3. And it's just lovely to see it back here again. And I think particularly because by this point, more people will have gotten their hands on it. And I think you see that in the three fights that we get here, that we now have got a lot more confident players on Mortal Kombat than we have had previously. And it's also nice that we've gone back to the Mega Drive version as well because of the home ports. It's the version we all remember because it was the version with the blood. And for all the controversy that may have brought, it did cause a shift not only in the way games were viewed, but also in the way companies approached games because it was the, it was the success that Sega had with this game that made Nintendo go, we need to rethink things before the second one, because then suddenly, boom, there was blood. And even mm -hmm. when you look at some of Nintendo's almost first party games, they started to get a bit darker. I mean, I'm thinking Killer Instinct. Yeah, it's Killer not Instinct. that far away. Talking Simpsons are covering this at the moment because they're, they're doing like episodes of The Simpsons from the year 2000, when Simpsons is then competing against South Park and Family Guy. And all of a sudden, Simpsons feels like this like sanitized product. So they then try to be an edgy comedy. And it doesn't always quite land for The Simpsons. I think it, it works a bit better for Nintendo uh, in throughout 94 and into 95 because Killer Instinct's a great game. And plus, as you say, we do get the, the blood-heavy version of Mortal Kombat 2. One other note on this Mega Drive version is that the music in the Mega Drive version was actually a rearrangement and was exclusive to this port. It was different from the arcade, different from the snares, and different from all other versions. So there you go. Yeah, I found that out while I was putting together the episode for episode 26 of series two. 
when I, we had Mortal Kombat in the arcades, right? Like that was the very last challenge was them playing Mortal Kombat on arcade. And I remember going to like, you know, onto YouTube to get the soundtrack and stuff and downloading it. And I was listening to the music. And I was like, man, this music does not sound familiar to me. And I played a lot of Mortal Kombat. And then it wasn't until I was putting together the episode for episode one of series three, where I was like, oh, it's, it's just because I played the Mega Drive version and the Mega Drive has got an exclusive soundtrack. And that's the one that I know. I only really noticed it myself when I actually picked up Mortal Kombat on the Mega Drive Mini again to to have it a quick blast on it and remind myself what the Mega Drive version was like. And I was thinking, oh yeah, this is a bit different. Mm, it's a great, I love the soundtrack on the Mega Drive. I think it's absolutely awesome. But to the challenge itself, it is a round-robin fight, single-round fight, five to the winner of each bout, zero to the loser. It's one of those challenges where anyone that wins two bouts is basically going through to the end of the show. Pretty much. It immediately eliminates most of the high stakes from the second challenge, because if you get 10 points in this one, you're fine. Yeah, you're absolutely fine. And Dave echoes that by saying it's a great chance for the teams to rack up some points and rack up an early lead, as the beat-em-up specialists take each other on. And of those beat-em-up specialists... Stuart and Koal take each other on first, with Stuart being the God of Thunder Raiden and Koal choosing old flame boy himself, Scorpion. Yes, that's Stuart of the Mega Maniacs and Koal of the Turbo Destructors. And this is uh, it's my favorite Mortal Kombat fight that we've had on this show so far, because this is Raiden dominating early. Stuart like absolutely like has this in the bag. And then all of a sudden, Koal makes this excellent comeback and he does this by like so scorpion's got the shadow punch that he does where you use it so if you're on the left hand side of the screen you can do the shadow punch you jump off the left hand side of the screen and you appear on the right hand side and you give them a little dig and you're basically next to them it's got a nice little fun like teleportation move koal often uses it as a way to get himself out of trouble so he's pinned down in the right hand corner and uses the shadow punch to get himself back onto the left hand side of the screen and then from there he's just throwing those spears and he couldn't land the spears early doors but now he's landing them he lands a couple of them with some uppercuts he gets so close to this being an excellent comeback but like it almost feels like Stuart ghost goes into panic mode and just like i'm not going to do the torpedo anymore i'm just going to jump and try and punch him in the face and that's what he does to get the win but it was really really close and really awesome yeah it was it was a good solid fight and at first i thought they'd actually left the blood turned off but no they were just blocking each other's moves that much and so when finally a spear was landed and the blood went flying i'm like oh cool no we are still playing the adult version pre-watershed got you but the winner stays on as Raiden takes on Zahid as Liu Kang. And this is a way more one-sided fight. In fact, Luke, you could almost say that Liu Kang barely gets a Liu Kin. I feel so honoured I just earned an air horn. Because <laughs> that joke was shit. Yeah, so he to take this is like it, it feels quite even at the start because essentially they're both throwing special moves and wildly missing each other. So it, it's even from that standpoint. But as soon as Raiden gets like into the swing of things and he just starts nailing, like he basically just keeps nailing the torpedo attack. And it is such a one sided fight after that. But yeah, that's 10 points there to the Mega Maniacs right, right off the bat. Now, when you are playing as Liu Kang, 
Do you do the standard thing before the start of the round where you start charging the bicycle kick? Yeah. Because that is the only way to easily land that bicycle kick. And the thing that frustrates me is if I'm playing against someone on Mortal Kombat, or even if I'm playing against the CPU, I know there's a good chance they're going to throw that bicycle kick right out of the gate. Mm-hmm. So what, what should I do, Luke? I should block. Yeah. What do I always fail to fucking do? <laughs> you do fail to block. I fail to block. And so I catch that bicycle kick right to the face. But in some ways, it's worth it because the sound effect of Liu Kang's bicycle kick will never not make me laugh. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, So our last round is Kowal of the Turbo Destructors as Scorpion and Zahid as Liu Kang of Take This. The commentary in this final fight is, is so bad. It is proper talking over each other. It is they're both doing play by play, and it is ju- it's really bad in this one. Play by play by two guys that don't really know how to do two person commentary. Yeah. The art of actually doing two person commentary where you are effectively having a conversation. I mean, this broadcast journalist level stuff, it is something that you don't just necessarily do instinctively. I mean, full disclaimer, we talk over each other all the time. You very rarely hear it. I'll only leave it in if it's funny. But Mm. otherwise, I shift my speech forward a bit or back a bit. I move yours forward or back a bit. So we both have our sentences and it just sounds smooth. And that is because whatever our experience as podcasters or hosts may be, I don't think either of us are trained journalists, are we? Absolutely not, no. I do my job on a wing and a prayer. You do it very well on a wing and a prayer, but (laughs) we can compensate for it in the edit. And if you want to find out what we're like without editing, join our Patreon, join Under Console Nation. (laughs) You'll get to see, oh, the shambles. Oh, Oh, it becomes a bit of a shambles at times indeed. Uh, but yeah, this this fight is also pretty good. It's not. I don't think it's as fun as the other two. Um, it's quite close. They're both dodging each other's special moves, but Koala Scorpion picks up the win for the Turbo Destructors. Overall, I just loved that. I thought it was so much fun. That is the best Mortal Kombat playing that we have seen in all of Series 3. Absolutely, because these guys know, at least in theory, how to do the moves. You can tell they're not quite as comfortable as some of them will be with Street Fighter, because Street Fighter, it's fireballs and dragon punches all out the wazoo. Mortal Kombat's special move execution, particularly with the first one, it's a little bit more... mm, It's not quite as smooth. The commands themselves aren't as smooth, and the timing windows aren't. but, But this was good. This was a lot of fun. It was a great fight to see. And yeah, it gave me a chance to make a terrible Liu Kang joke. So I'm really happy. Well, let's see which team is happy as we head over to Dex for the scores. Well, take this. They didn't do very well. They got no points at all. Didn't win any of them challenges. Okay, the Turbo Destructors, they won one of them. So they've got five points. But the Mega Maniacs won two bouts. That means they're out in the lead at the moment with a massive 10 points. Give them a cheer. So the Mega Maniacs are going to the final round then. Uh, Well, absolutely. Yeah, and take this. are really going to struggle out of this because they have got to win their next challenge and hope that Turbo Destructors lose in order to get into a tiebreaker situation. The only other thing I wanted to make note of is that uh, Zahid is proper annoyed. He does not look pleased at uh, these results that they are currently finding themselves in because I think he probably knows that they're not winning today, that they're not going through. Yeah, one thing I've noticed actually in all of these semifinals, especially compared to the heats, 
is all the teams suddenly realize, oh no, this is actually kind of serious now because we either win or we're probably going to get ridiculed for not winning. It really begins to show in their on-camera reactions. Yeah. Like when they don't realize they're on camera, especially when it's just like kind of B-roll footage or insert footage of them playing the games, the frustration and the strain is beginning to show. Yeah, you see that. I feel bad for them a little bit because there's no way that you'd be prepared for this. Nowadays with esports and various forms of online competition, you, you've got a bit more experience of this kind of, I guess, pressure. But these kids won't have any of that. No, you can really see it in Kowal's reaction when he loses that first fight. There's a proper like head back. Oh, God, that was close. And I really did need to get that win. Watch out, because Sonic Freezer Bar. In a new 24 meg adventure with battery backup and boasting a new 3D bonus stage, what is the Blue Furious one up to this time? Let's find out. With loads of new features and huge levels to explore, this is all you'd expect from a new Sonic game and much, much more. It's bigger and it's better. There's loads of vast new playing areas with lots of new switches and things to do, and the animation on Sonic's been tarted up no end. The visuals have been tweaked and Sonic himself has become a more rounded hedgehog, but I think it's about time we saw Sonic do some new tricks. In the review zone, we've got John Smith from Mega, James Binns from Total, and Tim Tucker from Games Master Magazine reviewing. It is here, Sonic the Hedgehog 3, 24 meg action with battery backup. They do love it here. This is a much more glowing review than Sonic CD got, and I think it is a much more glowing review than Sonic 2 got in the, the magazine. Let it go, Luke. Let it go. <laughs> well, I'm, not, I'm not saying like as a, as a let it go thing. I'm just saying like, it very much is a more... They're more positive about this than the GM magazine was about Sonic 2. And that's not a surprise at all. I mean, as you said, 24 meg battery backup, a new 3D bonus stage. It's a game and a half. Wait, no, it's half a game. <laughs> it is half a game, yeah. So this was supposed to be released Christmas 1993. This was supposed to be their big holiday release. Yeah, it, it just didn't kind of work out that way. They Yuji Naku had wanted to use the the virtual racing the the sega virtual processor to like make a 3d version of well make to make sonic 3d they wanted to have this big sort of swan song for sonic on the on the system but that fell apart quite quickly so they just went back to its classic roots and yeah they wanted this to be the biggest sonic game yet a real story driven swan song for the character we're going to introduce this new baddie there's going to be loads of levels we're going to have the Chaos Emeralds and the Super Chaos Emeralds and like Supersonic and Hypersonic and all of this sort of stuff. And yeah, essentially, it was a bit too much. And they sort of realized that they were not going to hit the deadline that they had for Christmas 1993, nor were they likely going to hit the backup date of February 1994 because they had to hit February 1994 because that is when McDonald's were releasing all of their Happy Meal toys. Where do the stars of Sega Sonic 3 go when the game's over? Sonic? Are you guys in there? Hey, here's a hint. They're at McDonald's in the $1.99 Sonic 3 Hamburger Happy Meal. Sonic launches with a push of a button. Tails flies who knows how high. And Robotnik barely dodges disaster. There's even this sweepstakes thing where 10,000 lucky folks will win free Sonic 3 cartridges. So if you're still looking for Sonic and his friends... I need to report a missing hedgehog. Take the kids to McDonald's, where what you want is what you get. And McDonald's deals don't move. If McDonald's have got something in place for February 1994... 
that promotion is happening in 1994 with or without the product that you're meant to be pushing. February 1994 was essentially their last date that they could aim for. So they split the game into two, Sonic 3A, Sonic 3B, with Sonic 3C being the full experience. Sonic 3A is Angel Island through to Launch Base, Sonic 3B is Mushroom Hill through to the Death Egg. And Knuckles was moved from Sonic 3A to be exclusively in Sonic 3B because they knew that he would be a big character. He's like the big introduction for this. So he just becomes the baddie for Sonic 3A. As a way to kind of like make Sonic 3A feel like it is a much bigger game now that they've taken a character out of it, they add in a like a big time trial system in there and you can play as Knuckles in that. I honestly, and like, and I think most people at the time had no idea that Sonic 3 was half a game. And I don't even, even when Sonic and Knuckles came out, I still didn't think that Sonic 3 was half a game. I mean, Sonic 3 in itself is an impressive game. It's a great game. It's got great music. It's got a nice improvement on graphics. It's got some really good additions to the gameplay. And so, yeah, the concept that it was half a game. The, I mean, the fact that they originally envisioned Sonic 3 being a 34 megabit cart. Now, this was already an expensive cart. 34 megabit, that's that's crazy. The size of the game. I'll be honest, part of me wonders, even if they'd made the deadline, would it have been too much? Would the price point have pushed the desirability down or rather the sales down? Because at the end of the day, particularly to like parents, okay, little Jimmy, you may want Sonic 3, but you've already got Sonic and Sonic 2. It's just a Sonic game. Yeah. I mean, there is nothing to the layman that will make Sonic 3 look that much more amazing. Maybe the 3D stage, if that. But on the externals, it doesn't look as groundbreaking as actually it might have been. And also, I do actually kind of like the way Sonic and Knuckles works with its kind of symbiotic morph into another cartridge technology. I think it's really cool. I, I really like that. Uh, and also the fact it adds extra playability to Sonic 1 and 2. That's that's fun. Yeah, Sonic and Knuckles is the one for me that feels like it's... That's the one that does feel like it's half a game. Like it does... It, while there is like, you know, a lot in there and there's a lot of story and lore, Sonic and Knuckles doesn't feel like it is complete until you put the Sonic 3 cart in. On its own, it just feels like a pretty standard game. Um, and yeah, I think that's the one that kind of exposes the, the half a game nature of it. But Sonic 3, I really does feel like a totally complete story and it is the first sonic game that is very story driven we talked about sonic 2 when it was released in our timeline that they wanted that to be this big time travel adventure that they then used for sonic cd but sonic 3 is like this big it's lore it talks about you know the floating island and knuckles the echidna who is the protector the long you know the, the last surviving protector of this island and the death egg and the launch of the death egg and there's cutscenes in between your your levels and stuff um to kind of like build this whole narrative that you're playing so it really does feel like this huge and grand adventure yeah it's not the first sonic game that i pick up no. Like, I think my favourite game just to pick up and play will actually always be Sonic 2. That's mine too. It, it's weird because it's probably not the one that impressed me the most, much like Games Master Magazine. Sonic the Hedgehog, the first one, that impressed me because the speed. But Sonic 2, it's got your two-player. It's a good balance of the original before they add, to, they add in many extra features or physics elements or whatever. But 
One of the elements of Sonic 3, and actually the reason why it is still complicated to release today, and it wasn't on the Mega Drive Mini as released, is to do with the music. Yeah, so they had been working with Michael Jackson, like for a long time, Sega had been working with Michael Jackson, because he was there for the Moonwalker game, and he was heavily involved in the Moonwalker game with Al Nilsson. So they had that relationship, that, that pre-existing relationship with him, and then he loved the Sonic games and wanted to be involved with them. And so he and Brad Buxer started to like put together some songs and stuff. And I, you know, the theory is they had a lot of tracks pretty much done and ready to go. And then the child abuse allegations came out against Jackson and Sega sort of quietly, I mean, they didn't publicly announce they were working with Jackson anyway. And so they just sort of quietly terminated the relationship and rescored a lot of levels. Like Marble Gardens is a level that's completely rescored by Sega's in-house team. And I didn't actually know about this until there's a YouTube video that was released. And I, was, I looked this up today. It was released in 2006 by a, a YouTube creator called Q Jimba. I don't know if they can call them a creator because I think this might be the only video they ever did. But that was like, they, they released this video about Sonic 3 and Michael Jackson. And it's a, it's stunning to look back at because it is 2006 youtube where this guy has got the most basic of editing skills and it is a really like quite poorly put together documentary by today's standards if you had to associate michael jackson with a sega genesis game most people would choose this However, back in September of 2005, HXC interviewed Roger Hector, ex-director of Sega Technical Institute. He found out that Michael Jackson was originally recruited by Sega to compose the music for Sonic 3. But it's a really like it's an interesting like one to rewatch because he dives into how there are certain elements that sound a lot like Michael Jackson's songs, Carnival Night Zone and Jam. And in particular, uh, Stranger in Moscow, because the prevailing theory is, is that Jackson and Buxer wrote that tune and that melody, then they left the project and then went on to use it in Stranger in Moscow, not realizing that Sega would still use it for the credit sequence in Sonic 3. And also, even up until recently, there's this whole deniability about Jackson being involved because various people in Sega have said, well, if Jackson was involved... We didn't know about it. Other people go, yeah, we knew. We were told not to talk about it. From the perspective of trying to have a unified cover story, it's a bloody shambles. Tom Kalinske stated that basically he didn't know anything about Jackson at all. But at the same time, there are people at a level comparable or directly reporting to him that have said they had knowledge of it. And obviously yeah. the team programming it had knowledge. And then when there was a Windows port of Sonic 3, some of the jackson tracks were removed and replaced with other music but then a couple of years ago an early beta of sonic 3 was found dumped and released and that contained the music that was actually used in the windows port which shows that at some point that music was in sonic and was then taken out to be replaced with the jackson tracks like so many things i think we've encountered over the run of this series so far we will probably never know the full history 
because one, legality, because if you want to look at why Sonic 3 hasn't been released that much recently, it's probably to do with getting rights from the Jackson estate. And also because as time goes on, the amount of people around who can talk about it are decreasing because people get older and then they pass away. And so it's always, I think, going to be one of those, not mysteries, because it's very obvious that Jackson was involved, but I don't think we'll ever know the full story. Yeah, because like, while I discovered it in 2006 through that YouTube video, I think it had been talked about on Sonic forums in the early 2000s, like probably into the late 90s and early 2000s, from like, you know, real hardcore Sonic fanatics who had noticed the links between, or like, you know, how Carnival Night Song sounds like Jam and Stranger in Moscow and even like Ice Cap Zone. And Roger Hector, who we've seen on this podcast a couple of episodes ago when at the CES 94 stuff, he had said in an interview that yeah like michael jackson was working on the project at one point the blake harris book console wars does detail that michael jackson was working and then the allegations happened and then he was taken off but it's a very small portion of the book it's not like a big sort of thing that's talked about and i spoke to blake about this when the book came out because i you know we were chatting quite a bit around that time and he said he goes yeah like i think what i wrote in the book is pretty much the fullest extent of the stories that we're going to get he was on the project then he wasn't and i um i found this through splash wave did an amazing splash wave does amazing like making of videos on youtube which i highly recommend people go and check out and the one that they did on sonic 3 has you know there's um brad buxer was once in a band called the jetsons and they had a track an unreleased track called hard times and it is ice cap zone like unmistakably it is ice cap zone Like there, like there's just so much definitive proof, as you say, that yeah, those two were working very hard on the Sonic Three score for for quite a bit of time. And the fact that also it now does because of that music have issues, probably. And again, this is unconfirmed. It's just very likely that there are issues with re-releasing it. The fact that we got the Mega Drive Mini and it didn't have the full complement of Sonic games on it, that that sucks. That should be the easy home run. Yeah. They should have been able to have Sonic's 1, 2, 3, then the Knuckles variant. I mean, I'm sure they could have worked out how to do that. Yeah, I'm sure there's like rom dumps that you could have found. And obviously, you know, there's Angel Line and Revisited, which has just be, uh, came out a couple of years ago or last year, I think it was. Um, the other thing I want to talk about before we kind of talk about the, the reviewers that I found quite interesting, actually, when I was watching the Splashway video, is that the, the game had been, you know, split into two. 3A and 3B, but there was also 3C, and 3C was the whole thing. That was the whole King of Beetle. That was Sonic 3 and Knuckles. Sonic 3 wasn't going to be released in Japan. Sonic 3 was just going to get Sonic 3C as one full thing later on in the year. And the only reason that Sonic 3 was forced, basically Sega were forced to release it in, in Japan, is because Western copies of Sonic 3 were being bootlegged and being pirated over in Japan. Sega had to release Sonic 3 as a solo project and then Sonic and Knuckles later on. Given how kind of 
weird Sonic's relationship with Japan was, I'm really surprised that they were that concerned about the bootlegging because from what we've discussed before, Sonic was not a a big thing in Japan. I guess they figured it might impact sales of like the full version of Sonic 3, which would have been late, like released later in the year. It gets released in May, uh, you know, in our timeline uh, over in Japan. But in the review itself, John from Mega is up first and says that with loads of new features and levels to explore, it's all you'd expect from a Sonic game and much, much more. Hey, that rhymes. <laughs> yeah, it does indeed, yeah. And uh, James calls it bigger and better and all this, that and the other. But it's Tim that kind of rides the, the Games Master line that we have seen since Sonic 2, which is, yeah, it's good and there are some new tricks, but we do want to see something different from Sonic. So I would have been very curious. We didn't actually cover it in our timeline, what they made of Sonic Spinball. Because Sonic Spinball only exists because Sonic 3 got delayed. Sonic 3 was meant to be released in Christmas. They realized that wasn't going to happen. So they were like, oh, um, can you do something else? And so someone put together in a couple of days a presentation that was sort of basically a tech demo based off the Carnival Nights minigame. They were like, oh, this could be fun. And that then became Sonic Spinball. And they put Sonic Spinball together very, very quickly. Like five months, they they put that project together from like concept through to final product, which I think you can sort of feel in the final game. But that was, you know, that's the game that I got for Christmas 1993. It wasn't Sonic 3. And along with that, Sonic CD, Sonic Chaos on the Master System and the Game Boy, Aladdin and Mortal Kombat, the bloodier Mortal Kombat, Sega was able to win the Christmas period again. But yeah, like on the Sonic Spinball thing, I would be curious to know what Games Master did, because they didn't do a review of it in this series, but I'm going to presume that they did do it in the magazine. They did indeed, and I've actually got that very review right here. Because it is something different. They did say that they want to see something new out of him. I mean, I'll go through the box outs, because obviously you've got the main review, but I'm not going to read that all out here. But the box outs are nice little paragraphs. First up is Les Ellis, that does look like a slightly more unkempt jazz rignal. But uh, he's not overly positive. He's like, hmm, I hate Sonic. I hated both the cartridge games. CD game was okay, though. This is better than the rest, I guess. There is still far too much of a luck element for me, but I believe if you were to look up the definition of the word fun, this follows it pretty closely. Right, then. It's fun. It takes a while to get into, but it could have been a lot worse. What did Tim give it? That sounds about right to me. Is that Tim? Is it Tim Tucker? This is Tim Tucker. So we get to see what he would give it when he has complete editorial control of of the uh, of the review yeah because he's obviously he's featured here in this episode andy meanwhile says the thing is i'm one of those tedious gits who still maintain that pinball is just 90 percent luck and 10 percent skill oh and yeah yeah i realize that it's the kind of game where that little bit of skill actually makes a big bit of difference and i'm wrong aren't i or am i oh i don't know i'm also not too sure on whether or not i actually like sonic either He's a bit blue for me. The Games Master agenda against Sonic continues. Right then, okay, okay, I admit it. Sonic Spinball is refreshingly bizarre, annoyingly well-designed, depressingly enjoyable, frustratingly playable, surprisingly addictive. Thanks for your interest. I'm off now to have a bit of a go at Legends of the Ring with Les. I think maybe I'll be La Motta. Best character, you see, etc., etc. And that's from Andy, who is the editor. Mm-hmm. But when it comes to Tim and his overall thoughts, it's good, not great, but certainly better than we cynics at Games Master expected. Sonic fans and pinball fans shouldn't be disappointed, and platform fanatics will hopefully welcome this new venture for Sonic. A good buy. He gives it graphics of 6, 
sounds, six, playability, eight, lastability, seven, for an overall score of 81%. I think that's a very fair score for Sonic Spinball. You know, particularly in hindsight, I think that's a very, very fair score. Sonic 3 gets 90% in this Games Master review here. But yeah, I think that that's pretty fair. I love how they all enjoy it to some degree, but really hate admitting. That's it. They begrudgingly enjoyed it. Yeah. They spike played it. <laughs> they all want Sonic to be bad. But there's like, oh, no, but this is what we wanted. It's a different game. Oh, and I suppose it's good. Oh, that's annoying. It's oh, I enjoyed it, actually. And the thing is, when it's done right, pinball on a console can be a lot of fun. Revenge of the Gator on a Game Boy. Some of the games that we've seen on Games Master, Devil Crush and its various prequels and sequels and whatnot, they're, they're fun because they take the pinball concept and then they do stuff you can't do with a physical machine. And also... Pinball games, when they're done right, have great physics engines, and that is something that Sonic had, as particularly in its first couple of games, is a cracking physics engine. So, so yeah, so I think the review score here for Sonic 3 is deserved, and I think the review score there for Sonic Spinball also deserved. I'm so curious to see what they make of Sonic and Knuckles, because I know we get a feature for it. I don't know if it gets reviewed, and it must do, because it comes out this year, and it must be in our timeline. So I'm very curious to see what that gets and whether or not they really dive into sort of the lock-on features of it and sort of like the extras that that comes with. Well, whether it gets featured on the show or not, you know we've got the magazines and so we'll be able to dip back in and see what Les and D and co all make of it. It's a jungle out there where, in Choplifter 3, take to the hot seat of your Thunderhawk war machine with 18 levels and 7 different weapons, will you be able to bring home your lost compatriots alive? Choplifter appears to me to be a cross between a platform game and Desert Strike. There's a lot to do, true, but the gameplay is very thin. It's all shooting and rescuing hostages. I particularly like being able to shoot missiles at innocent parachutists. Choplifter is your basic shoot em up, collect em up, side scrolling game. I've got much less to say about Choplifter 3, uh, which is a game I've not even heard of before. Uh, I, although I do like how the fact that John Smith in all of this uh, comes across as a bit of a psychopath, just talking about how he wants to shoot the rockets at innocent people. That is actually a violation of the Geneva Convention, I believe. It's like <laughs> you're not meant to shoot people that are parachuting. That genuinely, I think, breaks some sort of recognised treaty or agreement. But uh, what can I tell you about this game? Well, it's the third game in the Choplifter series. That's about it, really. Yeah. Um, no, the original title was actually released for the Apple II back in 1982. Wow. So this is a series with some history. A version of this game was also released for the Game Gear, but that game, while called Choplifter 3, was actually a remake of Choplifter 2. And then that version of the game was also then re-released for the Game Boy. And the gameplay is exactly as you see it here. And reception-wise, GamePro in America gave the game a mostly positive review. It commented on the graphics and addictive gameplay and summarised that this fast, great-looking game shouldn't be overlooked by fans of Desert slash Jungle Strike. Interestingly, EGM gave it 7.8 out of 10, commenting that fans of military simulators will definitely feel at home with this one. And I say interesting... Because 7.8 out of 10, if converted to percentage, would be 78%, which is exactly what this game gets here. You said 7.8 out of 10. 
And the first thing that does is suddenly looked at my notes. I was like, doesn't this game get 78%? That's spooky because there's <laughs> no way that they went, what did EGM give it? No, oh, exactly. we'll just convert it to percentage. <laughs> Tonight, we take a sneak preview of some of the games to be released with the new 3DO machine when it comes out in May. First up is the revamped Road Rash. And instead of just having like maybe one car on a bend ahead of you, you've got a whole city, you've got like three or four cars, different cars, you've got pedestrians. All that means that your riding experience is that much more involved. So, you like John Madden on a Mega Drive? Well, it's time to check it out on the 3DO. We're using real players now, digitized onto a computer background. You can actually hear John Madden speak, you'll see him animate, and you'll hear his advice. And finally, FIFA Soccer at the moment is in the early stages, but already it's looking pretty mega. The zoom option is, uh, is quite remarkable. You can go almost straight out of the stadium, looking down from the Goodyear blimp, and then pan all the way down in to stand right next to your favourite player. The new 3DO and all these games are heading your way in May. We have a big preview here for 3DO because it's going to be released in May. And David Wilson from EA is basically here to talk us through all of the EA games that are coming out in the 3DO, which is Road Rash and John Madden Football and the FIFA that's in development, which has got a very fun zoom in and out feature. Yeah, like it is, it's one of those things where I know you, I, I'm going to let you talk on this because you have got the, the 3DO fascination and you really want to get yourself a 3DO. But I've got to admit, like this feature did make me think, man, I completely have overlooked the 3DO all these years because Road Rash looks really fun. I'm not massively into American football, but John Madden looks right. And that's actually a really like that FIFA looks great. These games look pretty damn good. And they also aren't just straight port. These are the first attempts at taking an existing property and renovating it for a new generation. It's not like some of the games we've had. I'm looking at you, WWF Rage in the Cage, where they just take the 16-bit game and go, here's some video and no digitized music. They really did try and do something a bit different here. And the only thing I will say negative about this piece is, is, there a, is I want to know the reason why all the footage is a camera pointing at a television. Really, what, they don't have actual, like, 3DO footage? Yeah, this, there is strobing on all the footage, and I imagine it's because it's an American preview, and so they just pointed a TV camera at the screen, and it's why the colours are a bit washed out and why they're strobing. But they've captured NTSC footage before, unless they had to go somewhere to see it, I imagine. Mm. And it didn't come to like the studio or the Games Master offices. But um, that that's the only sour bit that I've got. But Road Rash, which came out this year, that was a big departure. The 3DO wasn't the only version. They did do a version for the Sega CD, which kind of acted as a bridge between the original Mega Drive and the 3DO version. And it was also ported afterwards to the PlayStation, Sega Saturn and eventually windows 95 despite the fact it's just called road rash this is the third installment of the game and they really decided to up the ante because they incorporated characters that were digitized from real life actors there was live action full motion video footage and it had a proper soundtrack there were there were songs in here from Soundgarden, monster magnet swerve driver and it did get pretty good critical reception it was a big selling point for the 3do they thought the visuals and the soundtrack really upped the ante for this game particularly because the first couple of games on the mega drive 
were essentially same old, same old. There wasn't anything too groundbreaking. They left the groundbreaking stuff to Skitchin. Mm-hmm. Receptions to the ports were not quite so positive, as in the case of the Mega CD, they were trying to push too much out of the hardware. And in the case of the PlayStation, the Saturn and the PC, they, know, they knew those platforms could actually do more because they were seeing that in other games. The reason for the soundtrack is because EA already had a relationship with A&M Records and originally negotiations didn't go too well. And what was the real turning point for this was that some of Soundgarden's members expressed enthusiasm for the series and basically saw the potential in licensing music to video games. So realistically, Soundgarden are probably responsible for what soon became a tirade of games with licensed soundtracks, particularly as we moved into the CD era, because they were the ones that turned AM around. Mm. And AM, big old, big old music company, particularly oh, at that yeah. time. Once Soundgarden were on board, other bands came on, including the aforementioned Monster Magnet and Swerve Driver, but also bands like Poor, Therapy, and Hammerbox. I've heard of Therapy. Therapy are banging, yeah. Hammerbox, I'm not sure, but Spotify. I've already queued up some of their songs. I will check out all of these bands. The 3DO version we see here was also showcased at the Summer CES in 94. And Luke, guess what? Jaguar port. Jaguar CD port was planned. Well, if it's a Jaguar CD port, then, then there's a very little chance that it's actually making its way to release. It was one of a handful of EA titles that was meant to be making its way to the Jaguar CD to support the new add-on but due to poor sales and the death of the platform, it didn't emerge. Up next is Madden Football. I'll have a lot less to say about this because I still don't understand American football, but I think this actually has more in common with Road Rash than it does FIFA because this is also using digitised actors and characters for its sprites on kind of a 3D rendered pitch. And as they say, you can see and hear John Madden speak, which I'm sure would be useful if you understood American football. And actually... I don't have that much to say about this one. But one thing I can say, Luke, is guess what? Jaguar port that came out? No, Jaguar CD port that didn't come out. Oh, so close. This one actually, like, I like the look of this, um, particularly like the, the John Madden aspect of it. And I think that like EA are throwing a lot of money at the 3DO, like really looking for this to work. You, know, you see that in Road Rash and the licensing of the music as you were talking about then. And, you know, having John Madden digitizing John Madden into the game, like John Madden being on the cover of 92 and 93 and 94 was like the big selling point of that. It's like, yeah, John Madden is involved in this game. So to actually have John Madden in the game and John Madden's like speech within the game. Yeah, like that feels like such a great selling point for it. I would honestly imagine that particularly in North America, that sold a lot of copies of the game. And maybe even for some people... Because there were some really diehard Madden fans. They might have even sold the 3DO off this game. Yeah, totally, easily. But for Europe, and particularly for the UK, the game that would probably sell more than Madden, it would be FIFA. And this game is a glimpse of the future because this is the direction that FIFA is going. And it's crazy to think that we've only just really begun to have the traditional isometric 2D FIFA. And yet here we are. 3D pan and zoom up with the Goodyear blimp or down next to your favorite player who with the rudimentary nature of textures at this point probably looks like he's had his face removed and slapped on a pizza but it's still impressive it's yes so impressive this is 1994 
four. Yeah, I mean, I'm I'm thinking ahead in our timeline. I'm thinking like back in my own lifeline of playing FIFA 97 on the Mega Drive and it's still being in that isometric view and still thinking, wow, this looks so, so great. Whereas here we are, 1994, the first FIFA's, oh, we, we're not even at FIFA 95 yet. FIFA is, oh, like FIFA is topping the game's charts currently. And here we are, 3DO version of FIFA. And it looks like the FIFA that we'll get in 98 on the PlayStation. It's, yeah, it's just absolutely mind-blowing that it was here at this point. The game was really positively received on its release. Critics lauded the detail and animation of the footballers, the crowd sound effects, the overall presentation. The 3DO's features that really helped sell the game for them was the multiple camera angles, which they demonstrate here, the more detailed graphics, and it was a high-profile showcase for the 3DO to the point where it not only became a packing game for the Gold Star version of the 3DO, but it got a direct sequel. It got FIFA Soccer 95 for the 3DO, and that's not something you actually got a lot of on the 3DO. A lot of titles and series were one and done, but this yeah. one sold well and showcased it well. Uh, it, you just got to wish that the 3DO did not cost as much as it did. Like, you know, launching at $700, you are limiting the amount of people that can get hold of this, particularly when the Mega Drive and the SNES, with their vast libraries of great games, you can pick up for like 150 bucks, 200 bucks, like, le like way less than 200 bucks, in fact. Launching it at, at $700 really did just cut the legs off before it even got a chance to move. Because if this was a, at an affordable price, I think we'd be looking at a very different uh, 1994-95 with the 3DO as like one of the big players. Maybe when we run out of episodes, maybe we can go back and fantasy book the console wars a different way where the 3DO takes off or maybe Sega don't like kind of end up in a ditch at the end of the 90s. But Luke, one more time. Guess what? Jaguar. CD. Yeah. Didn't happen. Yeah, yeah. This was this was the third of the trio of titles meant to make the journey over. And it's one of those things, whenever I make my notes and I encounter one that was a failed Jaguar report, I always get a bit of a smile. And by the time I got to the end of this section, I'm like, man, I just feel like I'm punching a puppy at this point. <laughs> like, did they not even just release any of the FIFA games on the Jaguar? Like, you'd have thought that ja like the Jag would have had a FIFA. I don't think it did. Bloody hell. No wonder we bought that <laughs> console. You did. Yeah, in 2017. Oh, wow, it was that recent. I genuinely oh, yeah. thought it was a little closer to launch. No, God, no. No, I didn't get one until like a few years ago. But all of this and much, much more is heading our way in May. Well, let's get on to another challenge. What are we playing, Games Master? Tonight's platform challenge is on the classic Mario 3 for Mario All-Stars for the Super Nintendo. The task is simple. With one life, Race to the end of the level in the quickest possible time, and victory shall be yours. If more than one contestant fails to finish the level, the contestant who survives the longest will score more highly. This is a wonderful little blast from the past. Obviously, it's a new version because it's the Mario All-Stars version, but Mario Brothers 3 was our very first challenge on Games Master, episode one, playing Mario 3. So, like... This was a, a, a lovely little callback. Uh, you know, it felt kind of good to be back in this. And it was basically, you know, a very, it was the same level. And also it's nice because it lets us do a direct comparison between the original Mario 3 and the Super Nintendo Enhanced Mario 3 for Mario All-Stars. 
And I did go around and I did find various websites documenting all of the changes the, between the original and the enhanced. And I thought, oh, this is going to be a great resource for this bit. I honestly just started to fall asleep reading it because there are so many differences and they're minor differences. They're kind of small graphical differences or texture changes. I mean, the biggest ones is everything just looks shinier. And while they haven't fully updated the look to um, to kind of like Super Mario World level, the one big change they've made is Luigi is his own sprite now, mm. rather than just being a color-shifted Mario, which I I like. I, yeah. I appreciate that uh, because it's also, you know, Luigi deserves acknowledgement. Otherwise, what happens is you end up with the psycho killer Luigi from Mario Kart. But also, like, because he was, you know, his own sprite in Mario 2. Like, he Mario 2 differentiated the fact that they are two very different looking characters. Which is ironic, given it's a Mario game that isn't actually a Mario game. <laughs> yeah, quite. We've got everybody's favourites on this show. So the game's Mario 3 from Mario All-Stars. Ash is up first from Take This. Is he going to do a funky performance for us, Dave? Well, he won his heat on Bubba and Sticks, and he also claims to be able to complete Side Pocket in two hours, including all the trick shots. Mm-hmm. But both are Sega games. It'd be interesting to see if he can make the transition onto the Super Nintendo with this one. I um, I liked Dave's commentary here because he points out that uh, he won the Bubba and Sticks heat and he beat Side Pockets in two hours. But those are both Sega games. Not sure how he's going to fare with a Nintendo game here. And while that is neither here nor there, Eight-year-old me at this point watching this being like, that is an interesting point. I wonder if he will be able to handle a Nintendo game. Sega are very different. You've been sat there with your little bubble pipe going, yes. Mm. Exactly, yeah. I mean, the biggest argument is the pads are different. And also the pad feels are different. No one picks up a Mega Drive pad and mistakes it for a SNES pad. No, it's a lovely pad is the uh, the, the SNES uh, dog bone pad. Yeah, and he, he does all right, to be honest. I mean, the last 16 seconds, he jumps into a prana plant right towards the end. And it is like, it's bad luck. It's one slight mistimed jump that leads him into that. Because I thought he actually had some pretty decent control up until that point. He had a nice touch. There is a trope of Mario games where you end up with multiple pipes and there'll be slightly different heights. And if you're very, very good, you can kind of hop, skip and jump between them. But the issue comes when they have pipes like this that also have piranha plants in them because he clears the first one fine, but unfortunately he literally lands on the second plant as it's coming up. It was just bad luck and bad timing. So, ooh, bit nasty. And take this really needed that as well. After getting zero points in the first round, they needed to get a, a decent win off, the, you know, a, a decent time on the board. And while 16 seconds is not the worst time we're going to get today, if it could have been better. Next up is Dave of the Destructors, who completed Mario World on the day he bought it, which I genuinely think is bullshit. <laughs> and Dave thinks, I mean, I don't know, like, if, if there is a load of bollocks. I mean, it probably is, like, it depends on how many hours you put into it. Given the relative age, if he completed it, he used skips and kind of warps and, and whatnot. You know, there's no way he made it all the way through the entire game in a single day i just not it's not like sonic sonic is a very fast game and you can just blaze through it but even just things like navigating the maps in mario that's yeah. gonna take time i i could well be wrong i probably am but you know i just didn't believe it i, I certainly wouldn't say it's 96 exits like you certainly didn't do that on day one. Oh god no now you can tell he's gonna take a different tact because clearly he's seen what happened to ash from take this 
he starts off a bit more cautiously, to which Dex encourages him to leak because, of course, it's Dex. But his cautious approach pays dividends because he gets around those pesky piranha plants. He crosses the last few obstacles. He stutters a bit on them, but he gets to the end of the level, 23 seconds, clear run. They're guaranteed at least second place. Basically, take this a done. Yeah, at this point, they're very much done. And like he he finished, really. And that was, you know, that that's kind of key to this at the end of the day. Because then Rob of the Mega Maniacs, who really can kind of take it easy anyway, because they're guaranteed to be through. Good luck to you, Rob, and start your challenge, the clock's running. Yeah! Okay, off, Rob, go. He's, off. He's going off. Okay, across the platform. No! No! Six seconds of abysmal gameplay brought to you by Games Master and Rob of the Mega Maniacs. Thanks very much. Right. He runs straight into a Prana Plant, basically right away. Six, Six seconds. seconds. Which is our third six-second play, I think, that we've had in the in the heats. And Dex has the most savage and also funny line of the night here. Six seconds of abysmal game playing brought to you by Games Master and Rob of the Mega Maniac. <laughs> and I just went, oh boy, that's gonna stick with him when he sees that on the playback. Yeah, that is that is calling him out there. Um, but yeah, I think we can probably work it out who's going home and who's going through. But let's head on over to Dex for the scores. In the second round, the Mega Maniacs got none. They didn't even complete the level. But they got 10 on the first round, so they've got 10 overall. Take this in the second heat. Well, they didn't complete the level, but they managed to last a bit longer, so they get two points for that one. Unfortunately, they got none in the first round, so they've got two overall. The Turbo Destructors in the last challenge, they won, so they've got five. And in the other round, they got five as well. So that means they've got 10 overall. So we've got two teams on 10, the Mega Maniacs and the Turbo destructors but take this i've got a measly two it's time to say bye bye to them Oof! take that and party on out of the games academy oh man two points in the semi-final it's not good you know coming second in the second challenge and yeah goose eggs from your first one not a good day for take this unfortunately considering the fact as well that they got perfect scores uh, in their heats yeah deck says that take this didn't take it they agree ashley says that it was better than he was doing in practice but it wasn't good enough and I'm just thinking, bloody hell, you were doing worse in practice. I mean, I know we had a six second come after him, but also, mate, you should have been able to master that in practice. Yeah. But their closing thoughts are quite nice because they say that with the scores they got, if the other teams can beat them, they're going to go far, which sportsmanship. We are, we are seeing a little bit less smack talk on this one and a return of sportsmanlike behavior. Yeah, it's nice to see. What a lovely bunch of lads. By talking to a lovely bunch of lads, we've got two more teams here and they're eager to know who's going to win the place in the final. So we're going to have a quick commercial break, then we're going to come back, do a celebrity challenge and their final challenge as well. So stay tuned for that. See you in a minute. Don't go into town, boys. We are wanted. What for? For instant savings on videos and computer games of Blockbuster and Ritz. How? It's these... Pesky vouchers again! Pack <laughs> <laughs> some cash with hula hoops, roysters, and McCoys. Tonight we interview a really big star. Not you. Sonic 3! Sneaking, 
Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second guess the ring. At bluenile.com, you can design a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash spoken today. Oh no! The horrid little monsters have made horrid little stains. This calls for new Vanish Carpet Mousse. As it's a mousse, it's concentrated, getting Vanish's powerful stain-removing agents onto those irksome stains. And unlike some trigger sprays, it can't soak your carpet. It works on upholstery, too. Vanished. Vanished. New Vanish Carpet Mousse makes those horrid stains the mousse. programs a bit don't you think anyway i promised you a smashing celebrity challenge and that's exactly what we've got for you but before we introduce our celebrities let's go to games master see what the challenge is going to be coming out of the ad break at this point we would have usually just had like the clip of who the celebrity is but in a bit of a change of pace we're going to the games master first for our celebrity challenge so what are we playing games master for tonight's celebrity challenge i've selected the smashing crash dummies for the sega mega drive our guests must race to the end of the level, avoiding the various hazards which will cause the accident-prone dummies to lose a limb or two, thus slowing their pace. Damaged dummies can replace lost body parts by collecting the screwdriver power-ups which litter the screen. The winner of my golden joystick will be the contestant who completes the level in the quickest time. Now, here's a game that I only know via its notoriety of not being particularly great. However, I loved the Crash Test Dummies. I was a big fan. Like, I wanted Crash Test Dummy toys so badly in the early 90s. I loved all the shows that they had. And I I actually, there was a period of time when I thought that the song Mm-mm-mm by the crash test dummies was something to do with the toys and not not actually some 90s warbling i mean it makes sense i suppose because they don't exactly have much facial movement as the crash test dummies so maybe the most they could do is go mm, mm, mm. there you go it makes sense when you see it like if you're in your uncle's car which i was my uncle ian's car 
and I was looking at the CD listing and I think it was like great driving tunes or something probably presented by Top Gear and on there was Crash Test Dummies Mm-mm-mm. in my head eight years old thinking like that's to do with the toys can't wait to hear that track very very surprised when the song actually came on and what it really was I'll be honest it makes as much sense as Sonic the Hedgehog and True Romance so <laughs> yeah I'm actually not familiar with this version of the game. I'm familiar with the Game Boy version because I had the Game Boy version and the Game Boy version was much more activity based. Like you had to do stunts and stuff like jumping off a building and catching various things on the way down. And so so this one, which um, I mean, this is still kind of obstacle course based, but it is also much more, I guess, traditional. This is a speedrun challenge. Unsurprisingly, and as you hinted at, the game received mixed to negative reviews Although here in the UK, Sega Force gave the Master System version 84%. Do you think at that point they're just happy to see games being released on the Master System? I think so. I think it was a dignity score. It was like, oh, well done, Master System. Round of applause. You've got a game that's essentially just the copy of the Game Gear game. But even so, you know, gold star for trying. It's playable. 84%. Funny you should say that. The summary review I've got here is... Gameplay is the same as on the Game Gear. Things are easier to see, and it's still as tough as the handheld version. So yeah. basically, they are going. It's the Game Gear version, but we can see what we're doing. That'll do. Yeah, 84%. But the challenge is to race to the end of the level quickest time possible. Collision loses body parts. Picking up screwdrivers replaces them. I, who could possibly play this game, Luke? Is it the people behind mm Yeah, oh, wouldn't that have been amazing if it was cra- those crash test dummies? But it's a very different Crash Test Dummies. And what better celebs to play the Crash Dummies than the Crash Dummies themselves, Slick and Spin? Give them a big cheer. Yeah, okay. Whoa, we made it. Whoa, well done. Well, so, guys, you want to tell us who's Slick, who's Spin, so we know? I'm Spin, and this is Slick. I'm Slick. Hello. Hello, Slick. Nice to meet you. So, what did you do? Get, like, a day off from a shop window to come and be with us today? Well, we were supposed to be playing football for West Ham today, but they gave us the day off. <laughs> that was good of them. It's the actual Crash Test Dummies. It's Slick and spin because this is the period of time when the crash test dummies were becoming uh, a franchise like there was actual characters because i think they had like a cartoon or something or they had like a tv series there were multiple iterations of the cartoon series there were multiple iterations of the toys slick and spin are actually the second generation of crash test dummies because vince and larry were the original crash test dummies and then it went through regeneration it went from just being called the crash test dummies to the incredible crash test dummies and that's when the new heroes became the ones we see here slick and spin along with other characters such as daryl spare tire hubcat and bumper skip the kid i don't even remember skip the kid i do remember the crash test cat and dog Mm-hmm. But they had cartoons, they had multiple series of toys. The toys, I think, outlived the cartoon by a good amount of time. It did cause some controversy in America because, of course, the crash test dummies were used in PSAs about road safety and other things. But at the same time, with these toys existing, some networks were like, but we're showing this and it's actually advertising because there are toys. And they genuinely, they banned PSAs Mm. because they were like, no, it's toy promotion. You know, it's telling people to wear seatbelts because otherwise they'll go flying through their car windscreen. But also it's a toy promotion. So crazy stuff, but not nearly as crazy as what enters the Games Academy at this point. Because <laughs> yeah. it is two lads in like the Crash Test Dummies outfits. I'm going to presume that these two lads 
did the circuit basically and went around to do all the promotional material for them because they are American and they come in to do some like local humor where they come in as like, you know, we were supposed to be playing for West Ham, but we were given the day off. A lads, cup of tea, governor. It, it's very like fish and chips. It, it feels very much like WWF have come to uh, England to do some local humor. Mate, all that commentary about the Desmond delivery earlier is is forgiven and put aside because I, this joke lands like a fucking lead balloon. Oh, it's such and, a fart in a church. And Dex is ripping the piss out of him right from the offset because he's just like asking if they got the day off from a shop window, which they, they don't quite, get at all. No, they, they don't do, get they, they, But Slick is going first, and as a kind of like a good luck to each other, they headbutt and then go to the game's cage. I just wrote in my notes, this is very odd. Do you know what? I mean, it's it's more fun than some of the celebrity challenges that we've had in Series 3, because it's memorable. It's certainly it's more memorable than next week's like celebrity contestants. But also just as tragic. Uh, <laughs> it's so weird that this is only two weeks removed from the macho madness. Yeah. When, you know, that was another colourful kind of cartoonish character, but one that could definitely deliver a promo and work with a crowd. As they go to the games cage, Dex says, crash test dummies, stupid or what? And I just thinking, man, he really dislikes them. And I'm okay with it because it's Dex actually engaging. I, yeah. I kind of like it. Now, Dave, I've seen some peculiar games in my time, but Crash Dummies, I mean, what's it all about, Dave? Is it stupid or what? They're good value for money, aren't they? The yeah. game itself is crazy. The, the Crash Dummies have to navigate their way down a road, avoiding various obstacles. If they get hit, their limbs fall off, their arms, their legs, and they oh, it's just crazy. But Dave, Dave jumps to their defence a little bit. He's like, oh, no, they're good value for money, aren't they? As if, you know, they've been hired in to be circus clowns. No, but they probably still need to pay them for having them in. Oh, I mean, 100% they need to pay them. And I wonder if it was like Dave's idea to be like, no, 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 it's good value for money. We've got a really good deal on these two. We've got the actual slick and spin. Definitely not two actors that desperately wish they could get bit parts in, I don't know, Law and Order or something. Slick goes first and immediately gets off to a good start by briefly running in the wrong direction. Yeah, uh, he loses pretty much all of his body parts, then regains them, and remarkably finishes the level in 41 seconds. I've absolutely no idea if it's a good time or not. I don't know if it can be bettered. I don't know if it's terrible. But when Spin goes up to play next, Dex literally goes, Spin the next crash dummies, find him in a position. Dave, is pretty much the same scenario, isn't it? All the same stuff again. Like, Dex is done. Dex is absolutely sick and tired of watching platform challenges at this point, and he's particularly tired of these two. Makes me wonder how many takes did it get to get them to actually finish the level? I bet you they couldn't have, like contractually, these two on and have them not complete their own game, or at least one of them complete it. Yeah. Because like during Slick's challenge, they cut to him a couple of times, and he is clearly not paying attention to what he's doing. He's just bouncing up and down in his chair like a hyperactive toddler. Spin at least looks like he's paying a bit more attention. So I wonder if Dexter's kind of exasperation is based off the amount of attempts it took Slick to get through it. Yeah, and Slick does seem to be worse at the game. Although not that much worse, because Spin does go, and he clearly knows how to play this game because he starts going for points, not for speed. He knows this level, but despite stopping for points, he manages to run this one second faster. He crosses the finish line 40 seconds. And as they approach the stage after the challenge, Dex says to Dave, 
if he's ever seen such a couple of idiots. <laughs> I'm just like, wow, Dex is grumpy. Well done. Slick. Something went a bit wrong. You kept losing your arms and legs there, didn't you? I kept crashing. It's well, you are a crash dummy. And spin. I don't know if you realise, but you won the Fabulous Games Master Golden Joystick. Uh, I, you know, to put over uh, Slick a little bit, I thought his selling of Spin doing really good at the challenge, well, at least better than he was, to be quite amusing. Because these two are sort of like, they're bouncing in their chairs and stuff, and Slick is there going like, oh no, he's doing better than I am. I, th- I thought they were quite nicely animated in the role that they were playing. I mean, I'm not going to put good money down on this, but I-, I wouldn't be surprised if it came out that these two weren't actually playing the game. And it was just some pre-recorded footage that was being played on the monitor. Or they ended up having one of the production assistants just sat quietly out of shop, just just yeah. out where they could still see the screen, but also playing it for them. Yeah, playing it for them. Because I can't imagine it's easy to play in those suits. No, to, to go back to Macho Man again, it's like the sunglasses, very, very limited field of visibility. Plus also, I think there was some gauze hiding their eyes, so it's going to be dimmer as well. It's going to be a bloody nightmare, absolute nightmare. But the other thing I'd be willing to put money on is that they did not take this joystick home with them. Well, that was going to be one of my questions is, do you think that Spin still has his Games Master Golden Joystick or it's at like the Crash Test Dummies warehouse or like, you know, whatever office the the Crash Test Dummies belong to. And it's just sort of like in a warehouse, again, like being looked after by uh, like Indiana Jones style top men. We know some celebrities do take the joysticks home because pictures have emerged from them. But in this case, no. This is this is not in a warehouse with the Ark of the Covenant. Uh, this is not in some dusty Tyco warehouse, kind of like propping up an old coffee maker. This 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 just as soon as they were out that exit, someone took the joystick off them and put it back for the next round. Yeah, I mean, it, like to kind of back up the idea as well that this game would have been very difficult to play in the outfits that they're in. He properly drops it when it's handed to him because they're cumbersome costumes. They've got white gloves on. Yeah. That's why it slips because it's a plastic case, a smooth plastic case. They're wearing smooth white gloves. F-ing recipe for disaster. I mean, that whole thing felt like a recipe for disaster. But at the end of it, actually, I, I, I got a bit of a kick out of all of it. Maybe it was Grumpy Dex, but I, I, I didn't hate it too much. I genuinely got a kick out of Grumpy Dex. It, that, that's what made that challenge for me was Dex just losing his shit at these people and just going, what am I even doing here? He knows that his time's nearly up. Oh, man, I've got (laughs) thoughts on that, but that's a couple of episodes away. But Dex continues to get the dig in whilst they're stood right next to him. There's some people who are even sadder at video games than the Crash Dummies. These poor schmucks are just stood there going, ugh, it's better than children's parties. Games Master, I'm totally useless at Lotus Turbo 2 on the Mega Drive. Could you help me, please? I know what you need to do. On the options field, change the password to pod space P. You will now be whisked away to a secret shoot-em-up hidden inside the game. You're obviously a useless driver. Oh, thanks. Now, we've talked about this game before, and I realised I think I've actually made a mistake because this Lotus 2 for the Mega Drive isn't Lotus 2. Lotus 2 for the Mega Drive is Lotus 3. Yeah. I honestly can't remember whether I'd correctly said that before or not, but if I didn't, I'm saying it now. (laughs) But either way, it's roughly the same game we've talked about before. And essentially, this is one where I imagine this kid asked this question, said thanks very much, and then months later, 
basically found out the games master said he was <laughs> at games. Well, yeah, I mean, as we know in the consultation zone, particularly in this series, that like the kids aren't coming on with particular queries. They're just given queries to ask. Like they're just uh, they're there to be actors uh, effectively. And, you know, it, they've done a couple of these throughout series three of the game within a game. And I, I quite like game within a game. Also, it gives me an excuse to play the death tank theme. Yeah, I, I, I kind of get a bit of a kick out of some of this stuff. Yeah, and, and the game here, at least, it's not just some weird little mini game or clone. This is a port of the game that the developers made for the Commodore 64 called Pod. So, hmm. so this is actually a nice little bit of retro gaming built in. The sort of thing we would later see in the PlayStation, because you remember those Namco games? Yeah, and yeah. when Ridge Racer was loading, you'd get you'd get a bit of a shoot 'em up and stuff like that. I loved that. I thought that was a great move. Games Master, I've heard that there is a secret driver for the rock and roll racing for the SNES. Is it true? Yes, there is a secret driver, and this is how you select him. On the character select screen, press right on the drypad until Tarkin appears. Now hold down the left, right, and select button. While holding these, press right on the joypad and the mystery driver will appear. Olaf the Viking, from that other game, The Lost Vikings. Choose him and you'll have the best driver around. Now here's what we're here for though, because it's rock and roll racing. It's one of our favourite games on here and it is a cheat that you... It's not rock and roll racing. I do apologise. It's rock and roll fucking <gasps> racing. Or for its full title, rock and fucking roll fucking <laughs> racing fucking... Yes, there it is. <laughs> Good luck beeping that one. <laughs> I was going to say, I was trying to make the sensor button a bit easier on myself. Uh, but, yeah. but this isn't the, like, we talked about this secret character when we were doing, like, our history of rock and roll racing when it came up. I think it was in the review zone of Series 2. It's Olaf from The Lost Vikings as a bonus character in all of this. It's just, I, I, I absolutely adore this. It's so good. And he's the best racer in the game. Now, we don't really have much that we can add to rock and roll racing other than the fact that you can now buy an enhanced version of rock and roll racing for for windows for xbox for ps4 and ps5 and the nintendo switch is part of an arcade collection that includes the lost vikings the first game blackthorn and rock and roll racing now they've enhanced it so it now supports full 16.9 there's four player split screen larry huffman has come back and recorded new commentary and clips to go with it and the only negative black sabbath's paranoid is not in the game. Oh. Uh, Black Sabbath licensing music from them could be an absolute pain, but they've replaced it with Judas Priest breaking the law. Oh, that's a good replacement, actually. That's not bad, that. It's not just synth versions. It's the real thing. Wow. You're getting nice. the real music. I'm, I'm down with that. You can change back to the classic version, and the classic version is based off of kind of, you know, the, uh, the SNES iteration. It is genuinely such a fun port, and they've done it with a lot of love. And I would heartily recommend people go out and pick it up, particularly that four-player multiplayer. As we come out of lockdown and we can start socialising again, imagine down the pub, Nintendo Switch, four Joy-Cons. Oh, I, I yeah. Get the points in, get the rock and roll racing on. You're in for a good session. I actually might. I mean, I've got a bit of time coming off because we're, record we're recording this before WrestleMania, so I get quite a bit of time off from WrestleMania because I do a lot of night shifts. And 
I'm going to be looking to fill my days. And if I'm not filling it during uh, with, with podcast editing, which is what I tend to do, I will probably pick up this pack that because mostly for like, you know, rock and roll racing, of course, but also Lost Vikings, because I really like Lost Vikings. I think it's a really fun game. So I am. Yeah, I'm going to I'm probably going to get this from the PlayStation 4. Also, don't overlook the dark horse that is Blackthorn. It's a vastly underrated game. And the Lost Vikings appear in that as well. There you go. Games Master, I can't get past the second level of Indiana Jones on the Game Boy. Could you help me, please? Oh, pathetic. On the password screen, enter the following code. D, H, 1, 2, 4, 4, 1, 2, 6, 8. And you will start the game on the wondrous level three. Oh, you're so great. And our last kid can't get off the second level of the last crusade on the Game Boy, so Games Master gives them a cheat to get to level three. Nice and simple, this one, although Last Crusade on the Game Boy is not a very good game. It's not, and there were an amazing number of different Last Crusade games. There was oh, at God, least three different versions, plus there was the graphic adventure. And there was also a different one released for the NES in 1991. It's not a great game. There's only really been maybe two good Indiana Jones game, uh, The Fate of Atlantis and the one they released for the Xbox. Pretty much. Yeah, the, the, the 2D ones aren't great. The, uh, the the Indiana Jones like collection, I think it's just called the trilogy that's on the SNES, that's basically like the Super Star Wars version of the Indiana Jones thing. And like the trilogy comes in one cart as well. That's really good, the JVC one. And when I say it's really good, it's just so much better than all of the other 2D Indiana Jones games from this era that it just feels like an, you know, a, an incredible game. And because I can almost feel the comments coming at this point, yes, Lego Indiana Jones is good, but <laughs> I'm not counting that because the Lego IP-based games are generally, they're all good because they're all pretty much the same game. It is a reskin with a few kind of bespoke elements, but it's fun. But like pure kind of Indiana Jones without any other gimmick tie-ins, Fate of Atlantis and the Xbox game. But we've got a new game on the way, so maybe there will be three good games. Right, two more teams left battling it out for a place in the final. Now, Rob, right, you played Mario just a little while ago, yeah? You lasted six seconds. Dreadful, I know. Dreadful, yes it was. I mean, you know, we're looking for top quality games players here. What went wrong? Was it the nerves, the tension of the whole thing? Was going well, on? I had the confidence, Dex, but yeah. I made a really bad mistake. It let my team down, but it won't happen in the final. Right, ah, uh, stern words there. What would you think of that, then? Stuff there. <laughs> <laughs> the stuff you, you're going to win. Right? Well, we're going to find out. Some of the bands that we've got here, like you talked about the sportsmanship that we had when uh, Take This were leaving. Zahid of the Turbo Destructors feels like there is some, like, you know, so, some banter into this, some trash talking, but he feels very unconvinced in himself when he tells the other, like, stuff them to the other team. Like, he says it because he feels like he has to. But he does not buy a single word that he's saying. He doesn't. It, it, it's not his strong point, bless him. But I'm, I'm looking forward to this. I'm looking forward to this challenge, Luke. This is going to be a good challenge. Oh, Should we, we go yeah. to the Games Master and find out what it is? For my final challenge, I've chosen the classic football simulation, Striker for the Super Nintendo. Two halves of exciting soccer action should separate the men from the boys. It's all to play for. Yet we are playing Striker on the SNES. Um, <laughs> that's it. That's it. Uh, for whatever reason, this is 
an episode of Games Master where seemingly no one has a full episode of it. I, I've checked with multiple places where people have uploaded uh, Games Master to YouTube, to Daily Motion, or wherever it is. No one has a full version of episode 24 of series three. This is a missing challenge. This is like the missing frames in the Zapruder film. This is, this is, the, this is the one missing piece. And if between now and the end of our run on Under Consultation, this challenge appears, I am happy to record a special mini bonus episode just so we can go, we've done it. We've reviewed yeah. every episode of Games Master. We've had a few missing bits and pieces, I think, before. We've missed a few little like seconds here and there, like a couple of episodes ended abruptly and stuff like that. But yeah. And we had like the, the final episode of series one. There was two alternate versions of that because there was one with the adult games section. And then there was one where that had been edited out and they put in like the, uh, the, like the best games of the year or something. Yeah. But, but this is, this is the only time when we've just gone, well, there was a challenge. We don't know what happened, but what we can say is the mega maniacs won and yes. they go through. Yeah. That, that, that is all we can say on this one. So, yeah, I, I, I'm impressed that it's taken us to nearly the end of series three to find an incomplete episode, given that, you know, the show is 30 years old. I'm actually pretty impressed that it's taken us this long to, to find this. And I don't think it's ever going to happen again to us. I think from here on in, we have got nothing but complete episodes. Absolutely. And, you know, you can guarantee that, like, two days after this episode comes out, someone will stick their hand up and go, oh, I've got it, actually. I've got it, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but no, so that's the end of that semi-final, and I guess we should rate and review it, which is a slightly difficult one to do because we can't review the full episode. And whilst I'm not saying that Striker probably was a great challenge, it's not the worst football game. We've got it one more time before the end of this season, and actually, that's really good. Mm. So I don't know. I don't know how to start with this one because I did enjoy the challenges that we saw the crash dummies i enjoyed for all the wrong reasons which was basically dex being an absolute bitch i really enjoyed the review section i thought the sonic 3 thing was good the 3do was great and i'm also really pleased that you seem to enjoy the 3do one because yeah, just did. being taken aback by the fact that these were three big steps for three big franchises consultation zone was so so it gave us a chance to talk about that game again albeit briefly and also, we got a recurring joke with Desmond at the beginning. Yeah. So it was an enjoyable episode, not always because it was good, but at least because it was funny. But I don't know how to rank it because we're missing that last challenge. What are your yeah. thoughts? Well, the, I, I'm in a very similar boat as you in that the, it's hard to score the episode because there might have been like this striker challenge might have been amazing. And in which case, I'd have come out of the episode being like, well, that was amazing. Or like it could have been a really toilet challenge. And I've been like, yeah, that, that final challenge really did bring my score down. Because up until that point, I thought this was a great episode of the show. I really, really enjoyed this. I loved the Mortal Kombat challenge. I got a big kick out of the Mario 3 challenge. Sonic 3 being reviewed was, was fun. The 3DO feature was great. The, the crash test dummies was so wacky and so just nonsense that i did have a bit of a smile on my face as it was all going on the game's crap and i'm not even sure if they were actually playing it but everything around it seemed so early 1994 and 
that as like a nostalgic thing was quite lovely and it really like it tugged on all of like the the nostalgia strings for me like one of my favorite movies in the world is airheads and rex like super shemi's character in that works in a toy store and he comes back to their flat and he gives his younger brother pip played by uh, adam sandler oh the incredible crash dummies so it makes me think of like my favorite film and stuff so like there was a lot of that i just thoroughly thoroughly enjoyed in this but I don't know if it's a good episode overall or one of the best of series three because we're missing a final challenge. But from what I did see, I, I really, really liked. I think I'm going to give it a provisional score on the hope that, as I said, before we get to the end of our run on Under Consultation, we will get a chance to see that challenge. Based on what we saw, I'm going to give it 85. Okay, I, I'm actually uh, higher than you. I'm at 90% as my provisional score on this. Uh, I, I really, really like this episode. I will say that if that last challenge is Bobbins, mm-hmm. it could go right down to 75%. Yeah, because, it could really bring because, me down. Because that would ruin a good episode. Yeah. That leaves a bad taste in your mouth. That's dog dirt. But if it escalates and it ends on a really satisfactory note, then it could push me up into the mid-90s. Like it's got it's got up to a ten percent swing in either direction. But that is going to do it for this episode of Under Consultation. Thank you all so much for listening. You all rule. Please do consider following this podcast uh, wherever you are listening, if you haven't already. Uh, and please do find us on social media. We're on Twitter at Under Console Pod. We're on Instagram at Under Console. And you can send us an old fashioned email to feedback at underconsultation.com. And if you want to get a bit of real-time interaction, you can join our Discord where there's conversations going on right now. As we're recording this, a new tier was launched for the Games Master book, which was to ask Dominic a question in the book's own consultation zone. And there's a lot of chatter about what those questions may be. Some of them involve marketing managers, some of them involve Mario 64. Not a journalist, I'm a marketing manager. At least one person who shall remain nameless was thinking of using the opportunity to wind me up. Yes, I see you. I know you'd have asked him which he preferred, the SNES or N64. But it is genuinely a lovely community. We've got a lovely group of people there. Please come on down, join us, be part of it. Details are in the show notes or on our social media. And if you want to support this podcast monetarily, you can do so over at patreon.com forward slash under console pod, uh, where you back us at any level, you'll get under consultation extra, where we review other shows uh, from British TV and actually from American TV, because we've done the, the real Ghostbusters, but we've done Dale Supermarket Sweep, we've done Fun House, Finders, Keepers, Nightmare. Uh, we've got like a whole load that we're looking to do this year as well. So we're really enjoying putting that out there. And it's done in the same under consultation style where we go through like the movies that were number one of the box office and things like that. And you'll also get access to our monthly community podcast, Under Console Nation, where we just get together for an hour and have a chat. It's a it's a live show and you can get the podcast version of it afterwards on demand. So yeah, it's a really, really fun time. And if you back us at the £5 level, you get next week's show one week early and ad-free. And at the £10 level, you get some extra bonus goodies. Ash, what do they get? Ooh, they get a Patreon-exclusive mug, which contains Patreon-exclusive badges, stickers, get retro trading cards, Power Rangers at the moment. You get retro sweeties and you get £5 off our under-consultation t-shirt, which can be bought along with other mugs, stickers and badges at our website, underconsultation.com. And a shout out to those £10 backers, William, Simon, Sean, Robert, Rich, Nick, Misha, Matt, Joe, Jason, Jamie, Gordon, David Palmer, David Fisher, Colin, Cliff, Carol, Adam Warrington 
and Adam D. Oh, those are a lot of names, and I love each and every one of you, just as I love anyone who's actually listening to the show up until this point. We will see you in seven days' time for the final semi-final before the final of the team championships. Take care, everyone. Good night. <laughs>Secret to summer ready skin is here. Osea's number one best selling Andaria algae body oil, clinically proven to instantly improve skin elasticity and transform dry skin to silky, soft, and unbelievably glowing. Its signature scent of freshly squeezed grapefruit, cypress, and mango mandarin transports you to sun kissed summer days. Get healthy, glowing skin for summer with clean vegan skincare from Osea. Get 10% off your first order site wide with code GLOW at OseaMalibu.com. ACAST powers the world's best podcasts. Here's a show that we recommend. The Real Housewives is a guilty pleasure for most, but if you're looking to not feel guilty about that pleasure, tune in to Everything Iconic with me, Danny Pellegrino, where I break down all the messy moments and behind-the-scenes antics of Bravo's popular franchise. And on Everything Iconic, I also interview celebrity guests like Kelly Ripa, Kiki Palmer, Drew Barrymore, Cameron Diaz, and more about their guilty pleasures, their past work, and so much more. So if you're pop culture obsessed and find yourself watching way too much reality TV like me, tune in to Everything Iconic with Danny Pellegrino, wherever you listen to podcasts. ACAST helps creators launch, grow, and monetize their podcasts everywhere. ACAST.com.